Why should I gain from his reward? What answer could we give? There's none of us that could stand before him and say, this is why. The body of work that I've done over the course of my life is enough that I should be rewarded. None of us can say that because even one sin, as we mentioned this morning, is an eternal offense against the holy God. And one sin requires eternity to pay off. None of us deserve anything good. And yet, through believing in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven and eternity in his presence. Other than the love of God, we cannot give an answer as to why he would do such a thing. And tonight, we're going to be looking at a single verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Probably a familiar verse to most of you, if not all of you, 2 Corinthians 5, and it's verse number 21, as we will be thinking about Jesus. The title of the message is that, Thinking About Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, in a moment, we'll look at what that verse says. And this evening, we'll be looking at this verse. These words were penned by the Apostle Paul as he was looking back on Christ's sacrifice. He was speaking to what end Christ offered himself and died upon that cross. It was these events nearly 2,000 years ago that provided the very basis of our Christianity. And I want to make sure that we have a solid foundational knowledge to our faith. In order to be the effective witnesses for Christ that we should be, a proper understanding of our faith in Christ is absolutely essential. And this verse, just one verse, offers the foundational truth of Christianity, the rock upon which our hope and our faith is built. This verse describes the only hope for the sinner. This verse describes the only true joy for the Christian. This verse describes the incredible transaction, the great substitution, the great lifting of sin from the sinner to the sinner's redemption. This verse describes the punishment of the Redeemer instead of the sinner. It describes the pouring out of the wrath of God, which was due to the sinner upon the sinner's substitute. The greatest transaction that this world has ever seen, a transaction so wonderful that hell even beheld and thought that it was wonderful on the most incredible marvel that heaven itself ever performed this verse describes Jesus Christ being made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him notice what the verse says for he in the context is speaking of God for God hath made him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It is hard to believe that this verse is true. It is hard to believe that God made his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we might, through faith in him, be made the righteousness of God. It's hard to believe that this is true, that the perfect, spotless Savior took the place of every single guilty sinner. God put upon his only begotten Son the sin of the guilty human race so that he, Jesus Christ, became sin. And then he took from our Savior his righteousness and transferred it to the account of the once guilty human race so that he became sin. He did all of this for all those who would believe on him. If it was required 
by God's holy standard. For Christ to suffer a second time, he'd willingly do it again. But because it was only required him to suffer once for our sins, he suffered once and he satisfied the full debt of all sin. Christ did suffer beyond what our words could ever describe. But the suffering of Christ was really a means to an end. And the end was that through faith in his finished work, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And our focus this evening will be on exactly that. That the transaction made between Christ and sinners, how it came to be, and how we as believers today should look back and think about Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Look at that verse once more. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Looking back on Christ's substitution in the place of sinners, where our sins laid upon his shoulders, I want us to think about him, first of all, with adoration, with deep love and deep respect. God has set his heart on saving our souls, but he would not be unjust and just sweep all of our sin under the rug. Even to indulge his favorite attribute of mercy, he still had to deal with sin. God desired to save sinners, but he would not go against his own justice. Sin needed to be punished. He had previously said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And God would not go against his own word. Rather than him going against his own word, what God did was send his only begotten son to earth to be beaten, to suffer at the hands of men that he created, and then to be killed. And rather than allowing sin to go unpunished, he laid all of that sin upon his only begotten son, punished him to the fullest extent. An eternal punishment for an eternal offense was poured out upon the sinless Christ. I don't think our minds can fully understand all that God thinks about sin, just how much he hates sin and how he must and will punish sin. And upon his son, he laid this tremendous weight, incomprehensible weight, Till the griefs of the dying Redeemer utterly surpassed all our imagination, all our comprehension. We should have the utmost adoration as we think about the justice of God. And think about how you would have had to contemplate God's justice, not at the foot of the cross, but in the depths of hell for all eternity. So let us have the greatest adoration for God, for if it were up to us, we would have been eternally separated from the presence of God. Instead of being able to one day with joy look into the eyes of our Savior who took our place, who took our sin and went to the cross on our behalf, the one who wept for us, we would have been forced to look into his face that are, with eyes that are as a flame of fire, standing before him, receiving the judgment before we were cast into the lake of fire. Instead of hearing him say, I have blotted out thy sins, we were sure to have been forced to hear him say, depart from me, thou cursed one, into everlasting fire. Shouldn't we then offer so much adoration to the justice of God demonstrated on that cross? There's not a single soul in hell that doesn't know and respect the justice of God. The only problem for them is that it's too late. Those souls in hell realize that they weren't treated unfairly, but their eternal destiny is entirely their own doing, and they are completely deserving of their end. They know that. 
The souls in hell understand that God's justice is perfect, that they were guilty and the guilt of their sin required this eternal punishment. They have full respect for it now, knowing that they had opportunity on earth to make things right, to throw themselves at the mercy of God and to change their eternal outcome. To receive God's mercy, to receive His grace, but they know they're where they are because they rejected the offer of God's grace. The souls in hell have such a high respect of God's justice, but may we as Christians have a greater and a deeper respect for it here. Along with the justice of God, consider also the grace of God. It was the grace of God that caused him to send his only begotten son to earth, knowing that he was sending him straight to the cross. God didn't send his son to save worthy men. God didn't send his son to save noble men. He sent his son to save unworthy, sinful, wicked, vile men. In comparison to God, we are all miserable. We are wretched. We are vile. We are detestable little worms that deserve nothing more than the eternal death that every one of us had coming. We offered God no value. We certainly weren't worth saving. He gained nothing out of saving us. He wasn't incomplete until he saved us. He was perfect in his presence in three and one we were such infamous traitors that if he doomed us to eternal fire we would have been the eternal examples of his wrath but man's redeemer jesus christ came and shed his blood so that earth's miserable race of humans may never have to bleed eternally it's a truth worth proclaiming in every street it's a truth worth proclaiming on every day that such is the grace of god that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is a truth seen so clearly when you read the words of 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1, which says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. His love for us was evident all throughout Christ's suffering. It was evident in the sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was evident in the scourging at the hands of Pilate. It was evident in the pains and the cries from Jesus upon the cross. May we feel incredibly humbled to catch a glimpse of God's abounding grace in the person of Jesus Christ as he was made sin for us who knew no sin. When you thought about God's justice and about his grace, I'd like you to also consider God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. It's amazing to think about how God deals with man from day to day, how he deals with us. It was only to mankind that God sent a redeemer. No redemption was made for the angels who rebelled against him. And God's sovereignty, it is truly amazing that for insignificant man, being fallen, being sinful, rejecting God, rebelling against him, we should have yet still God's only son to take our place. How was that even possible? And if you and I have felt the power of God's sovereignty in our lives and can see the blood cleansing us from our sin, shouldn't we admire that unbelievable grace extended to us which has set us apart from the rest of the world? We have been blessed beyond measure. We just sang about how deep the Father's love for us. And honestly, we're not even scratching the surface of how deep the Father's love for us is. 
We have been blessed far better than anyone else. All those who have come to Jesus Christ in faith and trust have been blessed beyond what words can ever describe, better than what eternity can ever explain. We have been blessed so much better. Shouldn't we be in such admiration and appreciation for the love that God has shown and the grace that he has extended to us? Grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. He's offered us something that none of us worked for. He offered us something that none of us could have ever earned in an entire lifetime. Cumulatively, all of us putting our work together would have never earned what he is offering, and yet he's freely bestowing upon all those who believe in him. How awesome is that? And even more so than God's grace being made available to us, the part of God's sovereignty I believe that is the greatest is that God was pleased to make his only begotten son to be sin for us. Do you understand that? We who are only deserving of eternal death and this incredible mercy and this incredible grace that he's extending to us, he says, I'm taking your punishment and I'm putting it upon my only begotten son. Eternity should have settled our debt and there is no end to eternity. I'm taking it, he says, and I'm pouring it out upon my only begotten son. How can we not have joy if you truly know and believe in Jesus Christ? Even though we may not be able to explain it, we should so proudly embrace it because God's word declares it to be true. I can't tell you how God did what he did. I can't explain the intricacies of how he took the debt of all mankind and placed it upon his shoulders. How, as we talked about this morning, eternity's worth of hell and punishment of sin was all poured out on Jesus Christ there upon the cross. How does it happen? How, how does an infinite amount of pain and suffering be doled out upon the infinite being Jesus Christ in a finite period of time? I can't describe it. The Bible says it's true. But I can't describe it. We may not understand how he does all that he does, but we know that it's true. The sovereignty of God has determined that no man should be saved except through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus declared this very truth in John 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If anyone at all is to be saved, if God is to accept any sinner, it will only be through faith in Jesus Christ, who was offered once for all there upon the cross. So may we have the utmost adoration, the very mention of our Lord and Savior. And look at this verse again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want us to, to now think about the Savior's work for us with love. Think about the work that he's done for you and think about it in love. Jesus Christ was made to be sin for us. That thought alone should cause so much love to swell up in your hearts that someone would pay the ultimate sacrifice for you, something that should have cost you eternity to pay off. He took and settled the debt once and for all. Nearly every word from this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, should help to increase our love for our Savior. For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. Him. God has made him the very Son of God, the one who is co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one in whose image every one of us are created. He was made to be sin for us. 
We could spend the rest of our time this evening on just that thought alone. Because Jesus is greater than any thought we could ever have. But I, what I want to be on your mind is the blessed glory that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, came and not only died for you, but willingly came and died for you. The one who healed the sick, the one who walked on water, the one who fed the hungry, the one who gave sight to the blind, he, Jesus Christ, ever lives to make intercession for us because he was first made to be sin for us. Now, I love my wife dearly. She does more for me than I can express. She cooks for me, she cleans for me, she cleans up after me, she loves me. Sometimes it's like she's got four kids in that house. Um, but in all that she does for me and all that I do for her, there's one thing that she can't do for me and one thing that I can't ever do for her. She can't take my sin. She cannot make atonement for what I've done and neither can I do for her. The greatest need, the greatest need, the single greatest need that every human being has, it is not to have a, a home that is kept neat and tidy. It is not to have food on the table every single dinner that you show up. It is not that the kids are always taken care of, that they're bathed, that they're clipped, that they have clean clothes, and, and the list goes on and on. That is not the greatest need that we have. The greatest need that we have as human beings cannot be met by another human. So the greatest love that we could have for another human should pale in comparison to the love that we should have for Jesus, who God has made to be sin for us. And by no means am I saying that what our spouses or our loved ones do for us aren't good and aren't worth loving and demonstrating love for. But what our Savior has done for us far exceeds what any person in their entire lifetime could do for you. He was made to be sin for us let that thought sink into your soul. Let it cause you to fill with a greater love than what you've ever felt before. I love my wife with all my heart. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. I'd lay down my life for her. And as much as I love her and as much as she loves me, there's one thing that we, neither of us can help each other out with. And that is saving ourselves because we cannot do what only Jesus can do. As you're thinking about the love that you have for Christ, I want you to also to consider your love for God the Father, who is also mentioned in this verse. Again, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was God the Father's divine plan from the very beginning of time for his only begotten Son to be made sin for each and every one of us. In fact, God the Father is the he at the beginning of verse number 21. God the Father is the one making his son to be sin for us. Just as my wife cannot take my sin and put it upon herself, and I can't take her sin and put it upon myself, no one else can do what God has done for us in taking our sin and putting it on his only begotten son. No matter how hard I try, I can't even take away one of my sins, let alone the sin of someone else. There are things that are completely impossible for man to do on his own. But we know there is nothing that God cannot do. Think about what it means when it says, for he hath made him to be sin for us. I don't think we fully understand the depth of that statement. We believe it because the Bible says it, for he hath made him to be sin for us. But our human minds don't have the capacity and even the level of comprehension to fully grasp the gravity of these words. 
Christ was made sin for us. When we read those words, we usually formulate some idea in our minds as to what that means. For when Christ was made sin, God treated him as if he had been a sinner, which, of course, we know Jesus never was. And he never could be. But God left him as if he had been a sinner. For we have record of Christ crying out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God turned away from his only begotten son as if he had sinned. And not only that, but God also smote him as if he would have smitten any sinner until Jesus' soul, we're told, was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. All the punishment that the world was due because of sin was all executed upon Jesus, the perfect and sinless Son of God. Jesus was made to be a debtor for all, all of our debts, and he paid for them in full. We cannot imagine what it would have been to be a debtor to our own debts because thanks to Christ, his finished work will never have to know the eternal debt of our sin. What a glorious truth it is to be a Christian and for the Christian because for the Christian, there is not even one single sin against us in God's book. They have all been forever obliterated by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've all been fully canceled by his own right hand. Christians truly have nothing to fear. We can never be condemned. Scripture is clear. It says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Not God, for God is the one who's justified us. Not Christ, for Christ is the one who has died for our sins. But if we're justified, who made us to be justified? Who declared us just? Who declared us canceled as far as the debt is concerned and completely free and clear? Who's made us to be what we are today? Justification from beginning until ending is entirely the working of God. Salvation is entirely the working of God alone. And what is so remarkable to think about as, as a believer is what Christ has saved us from. Our only joy in salvation is not merely what we have been saved from, but what we've also been saved to. But at times it's good to be reminded of what we've been saved from. For me as a believer, and this is true for every single believer, for me, there is no hell. Now I'm not saying that hell isn't real, but for me there's no hell. Let it smoke, let it burn as much as it's going to. But if I'm a true believer in Jesus Christ, I shall never have my portion in hell. As a believer, I will know nothing of eternal suffering and torment because I am justified, free and clear, fully by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I can never be condemned to hell. Jesus has suffered the punishment in my stead. Jesus has suffered eternity of hell in my stead. He was made to be sin for me. And God would be unjust if he were to punish me eternally. For Christ has suffered once and satisfied the justice of God forever. We may not fully understand all that there is to know about what Christ endured for our sakes and how he endured it for our sakes what it means that Christ was made to be sin for us. All that we know is that when God's divine justice came to punish sinners, it found Jesus Christ in the sinner's place. And it punished him to the fullest extent of what our eternal offenses warranted. God the Father didn't punish Jesus lightly. He laid the full weight of all of our sin upon him, which would have tormented mankind forever in hell. When God saw Jesus in the sinner's place, he did not spare him or even take it easy on him. And in the same respect, when God finds sinners without Christ, he will not spare or take it easy on them either. 
There is and should always be an urgency to come to Christ. Some people believe that they're not qualified to come to Christ, but the reality is that anyone's qualification to come to Christ is their lack of qualification. None of us are ever good enough to come to Christ. And that's what makes it so amazing that Jesus came to us instead. Where sin seemed to be sovereign and overruling and domineering, God's grace came and just dethroned it once and for all. So that through Jesus Christ, we can come to the Father. The problem is that so many people procrastinate. So many people put off opportunities to put their trust in Christ, even though they've been under the teaching and the preaching of sound biblical biblical teaching. And it's not that they have a, a desire to be condemned and spend eternity in hell, but they resolve to be saved tomorrow or at a more convenient time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, the Bible declares, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. To play around with your eternity is only a dangerous game, one in which you only stand to lose. We need to look at Christ and come to him in faith. We need to recognize him for who he truly is and all that he's done for us. As believers, I pray that we might be able to think about Jesus in love and have a greater appreciation for all that he has endured for our sake. So as we think about our Savior in love, let's also think about who we are today because of our Savior. Who we are today because of our Savior. Look at this verse once more, because as much as it speaks about God the Father and Jesus Christ, we are spoken of here as well. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. While God made Christ to be sin for us, it was our sin that was transferred from us to our Savior. But then something was given to us to replace that sin that was taken off of our account. It says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As believers today, we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. He has put your sin, all of it, to the account of his only begotten son, and you are now innocent, free, and clear with your debts completely paid off standing before him. God looks upon you and he sees you to be righteous. You're not perfectly righteous, not yet, because the work of the Holy Spirit is still working in you to complete you, until you've received into heaven. But you can be sure that this righteousness has begun in you. So when God looks upon you and he sees you as accepted by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're in his sight without spot, without blemish, without any imperfection. What Jesus did upon the cross was all done for your account. So God sees his perfect son and every single believer. And therefore he loves each of us as he loves his only begotten son. I hope we can all start to realize this position that we have with God where we are made to be the righteousness of God in Christ and when we do realize the greatness of our position we will begin to love our Savior even more who has done all of this for us we may have been undeserving we may have been helpless we may have been completely worthless but Christ willingly gave himself to be sin for all of us that we might be made to be the righteousness of Christ in him I pray that as we get a little bit closer to Resurrection Sunday, just a couple weeks away now, that the fire and the love in our hearts for our Savior might just continue to increase as we catch a glimpse of what a wonderful Savior we truly have and who we are all because of him. And one final thought as we close this evening. May we think about Jesus joyfully. May we think about Jesus joyfully until we're received into the glories of heaven, until our sin as believer is in entirely gone now we're still sinning we're not held accountable eternally 
for that sin, but we're still sinning as believers. And until that is entirely gone, until we as believers are completely clothed in Christ's righteousness, our salvation will not be fully realized. As a believer, you stand at the very moment of your salvation, the very moment you believed in Jesus Christ, you stand accepted by God. Not for anything you are, not for anything that you're one day going to be, but entirely and completely through the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which you receive through faith in him. I don't think we can state this truth enough that our salvation is entirely the working of Christ. As believers, we have literally been reformed. Just a few verses previous to this verse, in verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We have become new creatures in Christ. Our old nature has died, and we have been reformed by God through Christ. You were once in debt that would have taken you eternity to pay off, and there was nothing you could do to remove yourself from under the mountain of debt that you were. It was the equivalent of being in prison on death row where you were just awaiting your death sentence to be executed. You were then brought to court to stand before a judge, and even though you were unable to plead your own case because you were entirely guilty and the evidence was just entirely stacked against you and as you stood there listening to every charge being brought against you and nothing to do but just accept the charges someone stood up in the back of the courtroom and declared that your debt had been entirely settled the judge then had no choice but to permit you to leave the court declaring you to be free and clear of all debts you don't leave the court because you never had any debts. You had the debt and had to admit that you were paying and needed to pay for them. And that's why you were pleading guilty. You didn't leave the court because you're free and because of your good character or you promised to make things better going forward. The only grounds for your freedom was in fact that another person discharged you from the debts that you owed. And that'll not be affected by any act you may have committed or shall commit. As believers, this is where our hope remains. This is the foundation of our salvation, that Jesus Christ has died for us, and those who believe on him are saved and saved immediately. This is where our hope remains. God will not require us to pay for something that Jesus Christ has already paid for and forgiven us from. Therefore, as we have received his grace, we have been made free. This is the message of the gospel. Those who have received God's gift of grace are truly joyful, for it is their joy to know that God has made them free from all their sin. You may have been guilty, you may have been hopeless, you may have been worthless before Christ, and you may still sin, you will. But since you've come to Christ in faith, Christ is yours and he has taken all of your sins and paid them in completion. God himself can bring no charge against you now that you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what we ought to enjoy and rejoice in as believers every single day that we have life and breath within us. This is an unchanging fact that Jesus Christ has saved you through your faith in him and you have been redeemed by his blood. And the blood of Jesus Christ, it never loses its value and never loses its power. If you are resting in the blood of Jesus Christ today, you're as safe today as you, will, as you were yesterday or 40, 50 years ago, the moment you were saved, and as you will be tomorrow and as long as there is life and breath within you here on earth. In the blood of Jesus Christ, you are safe forever. Christ didn't come to save the righteous. There were none that were righteous, the Bible tells us. Jesus came to save sinners. And it's my hope that we would have such a high view of Jesus as we approach the celebration of his completed work, all of which, which made our salvation possible. The same Christ that we celebrate in Scripture is the same Christ who is still in the salvation business today. His own blood that was shed those many years ago has the same power to save sinners today. We should think of him every day with adoration, with love, 
and joy. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words here this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of, of who we are, Lord, and how we became who we are through faith in your Son. Lord, while there may be so many details that are just impossible, at least here, for us to comprehend, thank you for doing all that you did. Lord, we, we know that indeed what Christ has done for us covered all of our sin, dealt with all of our guilt, Lord, and has made us free and accepted in your sight as we've come to faith in his finished work. Lord, as we rejoice in all that he is for us, may we rejoice, Lord, both now and forevermore, knowing that our salvation in him never wavers and is never contingent upon how well we behave or how much good that we do, but it is entirely contingent upon what has already been done for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to you and know that you love us and have deemed us accepted through the blood of your only Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.